Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live, talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. How you doing? Welcome to the, uh, <laughs> whatever this is, the program. The program. So, uh, in my ongoing effort to uh, not jump when you know who says jump, to not look over there when he says look over there, you know, how often can you play that game, right? So I'm trying to do what uh, my supposed betters in uh, the DC Beltway mediaverse uh, sphere are. Uh, are doing, which is jumping when he says jump and following the shiny object du jour. So um, I, if I'm disappointing some of you by, um, by for instance, not, not talking about uh, the, the latest uh, outrage, uh, I'm sorry about that, but I am really trying mightily uh, not to do so. I think overall it is what I should do, um, uh, regain my own sense of <laughs> sovereignty over my own mind and my own sense of what is important. Uh, certainly, if you miss the outrage du jour chatter, that's available to you uh, 24-7, as you well know. Uh, and. Uh, I'll be sad to see you go if you need it constantly, but I'm really, really, really going to try. doesn't mean I'm not going to talk about them. It just means I'm going to try to pull away a little bit. And it's difficult. I mean, I, I couldn't sleep last night. So, I mean, there's still that. I couldn't sleep last night. So I found myself looking at like 2 in the morning. I was looking on my computer at uh, different kinds of uh, information than I would normally access, looking for stuff. And I found nothing. It's like things I think we used to cover, we don't anymore. It's just not being covered. Um Today in the Washington Post online, literally, I think the first 20 or so items that popped um, on my screen were Trump-related, um, from actual news to opinion to all of that. And I, I'm sorry, uh-uh, not, uh, I don't think... It's wise. So I'm saying all this because actually I feel like I've got slim pickings today because it's really hard. Um, I'm going to do my best, though. And uh, I, I, I want to start with things that I'm not even sure um, where they lead, but things that uh, piqued some uh, curiosity and or interest on my part. And uh, one is, in fact, a uh, opinion piece that was in the Washington Post uh, that skirts uh, you-know-who, but is based on um, our, well, let me just get, stop characterizing it and just 
say it. Jesus. This is about uh, Sasha Baron Cohen's latest program, uh, Who is America? Now, that Sasha Baron Cohen is, uh, is a genius, I think, at uh, disguise and uh, impersonation uh, is, goes without saying. He can uh, create characters, uh, live in them. They they can be absurd, absurdly, you know, hugely drawn, and and yet when he interacts with people, people seem to accept <laughs> him as legitimate, and I'm sh I'm assuming because I know you to be such a well-read crowd, that you know of this show, that you've read some things about it, how he, he uh, some of the people popping up this year are Dick Cheney and Sarah Palin. And uh, one of you sent me a clip. Uh, this is the clip uh, of a number of Republican congressmen um, absolutely signing on and endorsing uh, a program that Sasha Baron Cohen is selling them <laughs> about arming kindergartners. <laughs> now, I want to say this. I've read so much about this stuff that I haven't watched because I, I know myself better now. And I know I don't have the stomach for it. I think I've told you that I have, I don't seek out those shows that used to make me laugh like I used to. I don't watch Samantha Bee. I don't watch uh, Colbert. Because I can't laugh anymore. <laughs> I, I can laugh. I'm still capable of laughing. But I cannot laugh about what is happening to us. And I cannot laugh. I, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid I'm coldly serious uh, about what is happening. And so where some are finding it great fodder for humor, I and even dark humor, and humor that is making a point, as so many of these shows do, I can't do it. So Sasha Baron Cohen fits into that piece for me. I don't want to. I read about it. I marvel at what I read. Uh, one video did get to me on Twitter of this uh, the Georgia uh, representative falling for... Uh, Cohen's uh, representation as an Israeli terrorist expert uh, telling this idiot how he would fight, uh, how to fight terrorists. And this is a guy who um, literally bared his buttocks on television uh, and trying to do what Cohen was telling him to do, saying that these Muslims are f terrified of uh, homosexuals. So 
if you come at them with a with your buttocks and trying to touch them with your buttocks I mean, you can't, you, you, it's true, you cannot make this up, that somebody would first of all believe that, then somebody would do it. Um, so I saw some of that. I don't find it funny. I find it depressing as hell. <laughs> Ast- I, I'm still capable of some level of astonishment at how stupid and gullible People in positions of leadership, elected officials, can be. And I don't find that funny. I find it discomforting. I find it frightening. I don't laugh when I'm scared. So uh, there was... And the piece that was sent to me is about these, you know, the, his his shtick in which he tries to uh, get these Republican members of Congress to endorse his thing about training, not get kindergartners, I guess preschoolers, in, in using military-grade weaponry. <laughs> And uh, he gets Dana Rohrbacher, who is uh, as frightening a person as uh, as uh, exists in the Congress of the United States. This is the guy who I think is um, will be, before it's over, found to be a Soviet agent, actually. He gets Dana Rohrbacher and Joe Wilson of South Carolina, and Joe Walsh of uh, Illinois, although I don't think he's in the Congress anymore, to endorse this program about arming and teaching preschoolers how to use military-grade weapons. And he... He even gets Joe Walsh, and I'm reading this from this column in the Post, he even gets Joe Walsh to look straight into the camera as his endorsement and say this. In less than a month, less than a month, a first grader can become a first grenader. Happy shooting, kids. Now, famously, he also gets Dick Cheney to sign, uh, autograph a waterboarding kit. This was our vice president. These are all Republicans. Um, And I can't laugh at this. I, I, and I, I, but that some of you guys are still laughing. How does it help? I'm curious. I don't understand it. Um, we've said that you know things are so grotesque and re- 
idiotic and beyond what we used to think was our comprehension that it defies parody. And I think the reason I can't laugh is because these kinds of uh, shticks that traffic in parody, essentially. You take something that is happening, you notch it, you know, get it up a level, as Cohen does, and show that it still flies. <laughs> so while you can be appalled that somebody would say we should arm teachers in school, and you find that a whole bunch of people think that's a fine idea, Sasha Baron Cohen can actually find members of the Congress of the United States who think it's a great idea to have preschoolers, preschoolers armed. So, I mean, I don't think you can parodize, if that's a word, uh, a culture that is that far gone. Reality has become parody, although Cohen is attempting to say, no, it hasn't. It can be worse. And I, for one, now know, as I'm sure we all do, that yes, it can always get worse. <laughs> as a matter of fact, let's see, what time is it? Wait, wait three hours, it'll get worse, because that's, that's the America we live in now. It's not funny. And, and the column in the Washington Post that I read at 2 a.m. this morning, because I can't sleep, because it's not funny! It's written by um, a woman I don't know, Christine Emba. And she says this. It's the only thing I'm going to uh, read from it. Uh, when she talks about these Republicans falling for this crap and totally taking part in it. What should really alarm us is what Baron Cohen is teaching us about ourselves. And here's what she says. I thought she was going to say that, you know, wow, look at us. We're, we're this far gone. No, that's not what she's saying. She's saying he's teaching us that this sort of behavior, in other words, all of the shenanigans he gets people to do, he's teaching us that this sort of behavior bothers us but is also expected that we are uncomfortable with the direction in which our country is headed, but we also feel that it's too far gone for us to do more than laugh, shrug, and sigh. That in essence we've given up. Who is America, which is his show, is an ugly catalog of disappointments and we know all about them but we have decided that there is nothing to be done just laugh <laughs>
Now, you might say, that's not true. I can laugh and I can be aware of the seriousness of it because I have to laugh or I'll go mad. I get that too. But I am just saying, I'm agreeing with her. I can't laugh. I can't watch this stuff. You know, I become very self-protective because I I found that I have to be. And um, I'm sorry. I mean, I I do think he is uh, a satirical genius and and parodist. Um, But I don't think this is... I don't think the coarsening and terrifying plunge of our culture is funny. Not anymore. Because I think we've all found out how pervasive this rot is. And if, in fact, it's, I mean, I don't know how, I mean, is he telling us anything we don't already know? Not really. Uh, Because it's getting very hard to shock any of us anymore, right? And granted, he's, he's managing a bit, I guess, that Georgia representatives would do the, in, crazed stuff that this he gets this guy to do who by the way has resigned since then since becoming a national laughing stock he has tendered his resignation um, to the Georgia House I so anyway that's that's something that uh I've been thinking, and I have not uh, watched it. I don't want to. On a happier vein, a little bit, um, you may have heard that uh, Scott Wagner, does that name ring a bell? Well, if it doesn't, it will as we head into the fall because your television and radio will be polluted with noxious ads uh, suggesting that Mr. Wagner should be the next governor of of Pennsylvania. Now, this guy is uh, hugely wealthy. And he, taking a... Uh, taking the uh, the same path as his president, has refused to do what all gubernatorial candidates in Pennsylvania have done for decades and decades and decades, and that is to release his tax return. And, of course, being filthy rich and in the businesses that he's in, it would probably appall uh, some folks. So he's refusing to do it. That's in part. I haven't been paying a lot of attention 
to this race yet because, again, I've gotten to know myself a whole lot better since you know who's been elected. And I know my limits, and so I pace myself <laughs> now. I am not paying much attention until the fall. But this uh, rose above, uh, you know, got, got itself actually some national attention. And in fact, I was reminded of it today reading the New York Times. And it's about a, a young girl or young woman, I suppose I should say. I guess she's 18. Her name is Rose Strauss, S-T-R-A-U-S-S. And Rose Strauss is a college student and a Pennsylvania native. And she recently went to one of Scott Wagner's uh, town halls. She is an environmentalist. It's very important to her. And she wanted to uh, ask him about his position on climate change global warming and such things and protection of the environment. And uh, so she did that and she also videoed the whole thing. And when she asked him the question about, essentially she asked him about the fact that he had taken hundreds of thousands of dollars in contributions, campaign contributions, from uh, polluters, <laughs> from fossil fuel lobbyists and executives and, uh, and PACs. And she stated that and then said how, I, you know, blah, 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 this and that, yada, yada, yada. And his response to her was just totally dismissive. He essentially just said to her, well, these, this is the quote, look, you sweet child. He didn't say that, but that was the tone. You're young and naive. And that was his response to her very legitimate question. She, being a smart young cookie in this day and age, put that up on the internet, and it went viral. Hashtag young and naive. And the New York Times says in its headline, young and naive activist strikes back and says that in fact she's inspired a movement. Hashtag young and naive, sure to be used to rally all those other young and naive people who are often said to be indifferent to voting, to register, and to vote. And she was interviewed by the New York Times, and I just want to say that we could learn us old, tired people, um, we could learn from these young and naive people who might, you know, in 50, 60 years be old and tired themselves, but. And I just want to 
share with you a few things that she said, Rose. She, by the way, is uh, majoring in environmental science at uh, University of California in Santa Barbara. She says, there are moments when I feel frustrated and defeated every single day. But for me, it's about channeling the frustration into taking action on the things I care about. I think, again, there's whiz, so much wisdom in these young people today. And we need to open up our heads and our hearts and listen to them and use them as models. And she says, when she gets frustrated, I think about the things I care about. I think about what I'm fighting for. For me, I've always been inspired and amazed by the ocean. And that grounds me in my values and pushes me to keep fighting. Everybody has something like that, something in your life that inspires you to care. And that, she is saying, is what we have to remind ourselves when on a daily basis you feel that sense of defeat and frustration and hopelessness. And she finishes by this. She says, you need to join a movement. Don't just do an isolated or singular thing. Marching, demonstrating, that's great. But we need sustained action to really turn the tide. And she is right. So, Rose Strauss... God bless her, young and naive. And Scott Wagner might well rue the day that he said that to her. Turns out he might have been old and naive. Uh, little Tony says uh, about Sasha Baron Cohen, I can't watch that guy for a different reason. He makes my skin crawl. He's just one of those people I can't stand. I'm not saying he's not talented. What's funny is how gullible can these people, uh, these people are to fall for this stuff. Yeah, I understand. He's he, he's a uh, yeah. He's not for everybody. That's for sure. Not particularly for me either. But I do acknowledge his brilliance because he is I mean whether you like what he does with it or not okay I got two animal stories for you because what's better the greatest one and I I don't know if you can see this picture it's a black and white photo do I have it in the right place? Can you see a duck 
It's a black and white photo of a of a duck. And there are like 500 million ducklings behind her. <laughs> Look at that picture. Ain't that the greatest? This is a duck on a lake, Lake Bemidji in Minnesota. And the guy who took the picture couldn't believe his eye. I mean, he could not believe what he was seeing. He said there had to be I guess they're not all of this. There had to be 70. He said over 70 ducklings. And he thought, what the hell? And so he posted this picture. (laughs) And the reaction from people who know birds was pretty much equally, what the? But not quite. Here's an ornithologist at Yale. It's an extraordinary sighting, he says. Now, what's funny is the guy who took the picture says, man, I mean, she just looks really proud and stoic in the photo. And I'm thinking, oh, come on, it's a duck. She, I mean, our thing about anthropomorphizing animals is just too funny. She looks really proud and stoic. No, she's doing whatever is innate. She's a duck, a mother duck. Now, there is no way that those are all hers. There's just no way. And that's what uh, that's what the experts uh, tell us. First of all, the kind of duck she is is a, called a common merganser. Merganser. Uh, I don't think this is a common anything. (laughs) It's an unfortunate name. This is a very uncommon, common merganser. But these are ducks that are found on freshwater lakes. Now here's where this, the ornithologist from Yale, why his mind was blown, then said, but... It turns out that these kinds of ducks, common mergansers, don't necessarily only incubate their own eggs. Uh, Females often, (laughs) when laying their eggs, I think lazy females, when laying their eggs, decide, you know, I think I'm just going to dump these eggs in the, in, you know, in Stacy's nest over there because she's a real workaholic and really into this maternal crap. I'm not so much. And so there are female ducks, unlike this stoic and proud, uncommon, common merganser, who will lay their eggs in another duck's nest. Now, here, I was anthropomorphizing when I said why they were doing it. The reality is, is they do it to give, again, it's the, it's the survival instinct of their line. 
they drop an egg or two here, they'll drop another few over there, they'll sit on a few themselves. They're doing this to up the odds that some of their line will survive. That's the biological reason, not mine that, you know, they want to go shopping and they decided Stacy could look after the kids. But there are also birds, ostriches being one, and, uh, and these common mergansers who use a kind of a daycare system once the eggs are hatched. And there is a, a word for these daycare centers <laughs> that these ducks and ostriches have, and they're called creches, like, you know, the Christmas kind of creche. They're called creches. And in a creche, a bird creche, the females leave their ducklings in the care of one stoic, proud, uncommon, common merganser. And what are they doing? They go off and molt. <laughs> they, uh, they go off and uh, molt, and they literally leave their babies in the care of a matriarch duck. That's the uncommon, common merganser. So this duck was essentially the owner of a big daycare center, and she was taking her charges out for um, a swim. And that's a fact. However, I do want to say that uh, the guys who know all about these ducks... Uh, are saying, I've seen creches up to 35 and 50 ducklings, but 70, man, they're all freaking out about um, the size of, of this particular uh, creche, as it's called. <laughs> Truly an extraordinary sighting. Uh, bird uh, lovers have shared these pictures on the National Audubon Society's website, um, and they say it is really just an extreme example of something that does exist in nature, which is duck daycare. Ain't that a nice story? When I saw this story today, I was so happy. I thought, oh, ma, thank you. Boy, did I need that. Then I turned the page and I got this. <laughs> this is the other animal story, but I want to pass it on. Um, I have had my share of uh, animal companions. I love them. And I'm inching toward getting another dog. Um, and I've never spent a lot of money on their food. And so I am one of those people who is just amazed at if you go to a pet store shop and you see a little can, this big, a little can of cat food 
that's like two bucks or something. And oh man, the ingredients are, you know, wild common mergansers. <laughs> or wild common merganser ducklings fed only on God knows what. I mean, it, it is ridiculous what they get in the ingredients. And I did. I spent a little time one day reading this stuff. Um, you know, I thought, what the hell's wrong with Fancy Feast and Alpo? Jeez. But I've heard, yeah, that there are things wrong with those things. They ain't, they're like, you know, all processed foods. They're not necessarily the best. So we know that Americans now treat, uh, many Americans treat their animals like spoiled brat kids. I mean, they can do not enough, can't spend enough, can't, you know, it doesn't matter that you spend money on toys when, in fact, all a cat wants is a cardboard box, right, and a, a piece of yarn. <laughs> but we do. We invest so much in them. I got to tell you something. Uh, people who are, you know, a lot of people now will not feed their animals, their cats and dogs, grain, products with grain in it. You've seen the ads, haven't you? Well, it's 30% grain. It's just like nothing, but they just fill it up. There's not real meat in there. There's not... And so they pay unbelievable amounts of money to feed their animals grain-free and organic and God knows what and blah, blah, blah. Uh, this is just a heads up. Nobody's recalling anything yet, but the uh, FDA is uh, looking into um, a frightening little bubble that is happening of dogs who are being fed these pricey diets, grain-free diets, who are developing heart disease dilated cardiomyopathy and these are there, there are breeds that that are known to get this kind of heart disease but these are dogs that are not known to get this kind of heart disease and there was a particular vet i believe in the washington area who started seeing more dogs with this heart disease and not the usual suspects and what finally got him is when one owner brought in two different breeds neither of whom genetically get this and they both had it and they started seeing and they started keeping track uh, the symptoms include fatigue difficulty breathing coughing fainting sudden death And what it is, is all of the dogs were eating this fancy schmancy shit. Okay? The common factor in all of these poor, sick, and some dead dogs, much loved, was a diet heavy in peas, lentils, chickpeas, and potatoes, which are the carbs that these fancy foods put in 
to replace that terrible grain. So the reality is is that lots of dogs are happily eating this stuff, but a, a lot of dogs are getting sick. And so it's not known. Researchers say, okay, we see this now. We got to look into this. They don't know exactly what it is. Are they getting sick because there's an absence of grain? Are they getting sick because, in fact, dogs don't like chickpeas? I don't know. Isn't that it's not good for them? And it does say here in this article that contrary to whatever the advertising, the marketing shtick is, is that there is no research whatsoever to demonstrate that grain-free diets offer any benefits, health benefits, uh, to animals. None. That's just, again, anthropomorphizing. We're all getting into gluten-free. So, of course, if you're, like, not doing grain, then you aren't going to give your beloved dog grain because you have decided grain, gluten, equals bad. And what's good for humans dietarily is not necessarily good, but you know how they market this food to us. Dog owners, cat owners look at this and they see the ingredients and they say, in their head, they might not be consciously saying it, oh, that sounds good, right? Ooh, carrots, potatoes, and wild duck. Mmm, in a savory sauce. I'm in that. And in fact, the article has a quote from a woman whose dog died. You look at the ingredients, peas, red lentils, green lentils, I mean, they were right near the top of the list. It looked like something I would eat. So I thought, well, that'll be all right. Just say it, okay? Stop anthropomorphizing. Do you know how many dogs for hundreds of millions of generations lived on scraps and whatever? Come on, guys. Jesus. And this idea that if it's expensive, it must be better. Well, P.T. Barnum would say, <laughs> right? If it's expensive, it doesn't necessarily mean it's better. It's a marketing gimmick. Because you, the consumer, say, oh my God, if it's that expensive, this must really be good. Not necessarily. Or good for, not necessarily. Okay, my next uh, thing is Michael Avenatti. Does he need any introduction? Okay, Stormy Daniels, lawyer seen on television, I assume every night still. My sister's got a crush on him, and she's not alone. A lot of women have crushes on this guy. 
a lot of men think he's incredibly manly. He's tough as hell. He's smart as hell. He's a real operator, right? And he's thinking of running for president. Now, when I first heard that, I groaned, of course. The more I think about it, given the absurdity of our culture, and that includes our political culture, I got to tell you, if you did put somebody up against Donald Trump, I think Michael Avenatti would be exactly the guy, right? One-on-one, one-on-one with Donald Trump, because he is Trumpian in that he knows how to play the part. And he also is fearless. He says... I mean, every time he does talk, I can't imagine he would do it. And certainly the establishment Democrats would not want him. Who knows? I mean, he's coming out of nowhere. He is no different than Trump. And other than, uh, you know, but I'm, I'm talking about who can beat Trump at his game? And who do the cable folks and the cameras love? and can't keep away from. Not Hillary Clinton. She wasn't any fun. Michael Avenatti is fun. He's fun, and he's tough. Only politically, he's liberal. So, I got to tell you, I am, I don't know, I'm not completely saying absolutely not, and I, but I got to tell you, he could be a monster like Trump if he were to win. I don't know. He certainly has an ego. Of course, anybody who thinks they could be the president of the United States, oh yeah, I can do that, has an ego, without a doubt. But I'm just saying, let's keep an eye on that. Okay? He has uh, signed up to be a speaker at one of these early Iowa things. It's called the Iowa Wingding. And Michael Avenatti is going to be there. And he'll bring the house down. And he'll show up a lot of other plotting, serious Democrats because he's a showman. And he's got that slightly sleazy aspect that Trump has. Which means what? I don't know. That Americans will love him. We seem to love sleaze. I'm just saying. I'm throwing it out there. Laura writes regarding pets and food. I always gave our dogs people food. People would tell me, dogs are not meant to eat people food. 
I was glad to hear you say dogs ate scraps long before they ate dogs. Well, sure they did. Now, maybe they didn't live as long. I don't know. I mean, I remember the first time I told my mother I was having my cat's teeth cleaned and that the cat had to be put under, had to be anesthetized and that this would cost, (laughs) I don't know, what did it cost? Almost a thousand bucks or something to get the, you know, my mother just looked at me like, what the? I mean, we had dogs, never even thought of getting a dog groomed. Whoever heard of such a thing? I have had dogs. I have never had a dog groomed. Does that make me a bad owner? I don't know. I come from the old school (laughs) when it comes to animals. I love them to death, but... I do understand they are animals, and they, I don't think we do them any favors. And you see how fat they all are, right, you guys? You're making them obese, just like all of us, and uh, that kills them. You can kill them with kindness. Um, Barbara sent another animal story. They are doing a census, I think I saw something about this, of of cats in Washington, D.C. It's called PetSmart Charities. Oh, okay. Oh, no. PetSmart Charities would be the the Humane Society, Humane Rights, are collaborating to conduct the D.C. Cat Count. The project, which is expected to take three years and cost $1.5 million, wants to count every cat in Washington including indoor pets as well as feral and shelter animals. The cat count launched last week will use 60 camera traps, many aided by infrared sensors, to track and record the movements of outdoor cats. Meanwhile, an app is in development for Washington residents to snap photos of cats they see while out and about. While it may seem odd to account for the presence of every cat in the city instead of just the unowned outdoors cats, the Cat Count website argues that the entire population is actually an interconnected and dynamic network comprised of unowned cats living outdoors, owned cats that may live either indoors or outdoors, and shelter cats that often move into or out of the other five. Okay, so that's it. I don't know. Fine. Count cats. Uh, Kathleen writes, you just gave me a reason to smile and to hope. There is something about Michael Avenatti that I like. Yeah, we women are. We we do go for him. I can't explain it. <laughs> Maybe it's that he strikes me as a brave man with all his bluster, just saying. No, he's hot. I mean, we just got the hots for him. It's true. My sister's got it more than I do. I mean, I, not necessarily my type, because I, I see the sleaze thing more. But I love his brain, and I, lo- I love his smarts, and I love his fearlessness. And inasmuch as he's all about self-promotion and self-aggrandizement, he, in fact, does good work. 
He was able to make the President of the United States more flipped out, freaked out than almost any, you know, some congressional committee? No, I don't think so. Speaking of Congress, see, one of the uh, big stories today that I will not chase is this shiny object, shiny object that the uh, these jerk Republican Congress people uh, with their um, wanting to uh, impeach uh, Rod Rosenstein, you know, it's just it's just crap. It's just it's just it's carnival barker crap, you know. Keep your eyes on the prize. I'm sure Michael would agree with me on that. Okay, what else we got here? Um, one little item that I happened to see and uh, found extraordinarily terrifying. <laughs> I need to share with you. I'm sure you maybe saw it too or heard about it. I, although, you know, are, are totally, uh, what's the word for obsessed, I guess, our Trump-obsessed news media um, just doesn't take time to educate their viewers or listeners like they used to about a lot of stuff that's happening that you should be aware of. And this was one sort of littler item that I'm sure got drowned out with the uh, you know outrage du jour. But we know that as we head into the midterm elections, which are, I mean, we don't have to be told again, probably the most consequential election of our lifetime. And it's not even a presidential election. The most consequential election of our lifetime. Because this is where those of us in the resistance either show up and do it and realize it's just step, little step one. If we fail at this step one, I think it's over. I do. Close. It certainly would be unbearable. So these elections are so important. We also know that the Republican Congress, the House, uh, recently refused to... give any money to fund cyber, uh, to, to uh, fund the uh, security of our voting system. Do you know that? They did. And state by state by state, these systems are, they are awful. Right here. They're hackable. And as we know, the Russians and maybe others are actively working as we, as our Congress does absolutely nothing, to undermine our election. They did a damn fine job last time 
that would only make them feel that, hey, man, this stuff works. Let's do that again. They will do it again. And we're not. Do you see people reacting like they should? This should be the hugest, hugest, hugest. We're going to get all these people out to vote. Will their votes count? And another thing the Republicans are doing in a lot of states that they can do this, they're purging voters. So people are going to be showing up at the polls, assuming they're registered because they did register, and they're not going to be able to vote. Because there are states like Ohio next door that if you don't show up to vote in the last election, they'll pull you and you're not registered anymore, which is so unconstitutional I cannot believe it. But they do this, they target in Republican states, they are targeting voters, Democrats, and they're pulling their registrations for whatever reason they can, if they can. And if it's a Republican-controlled state, their legislatures are making sure that they can legally do it. I just want to suggest that if you think you're registered, if you missed an election or two, and you're now fired up and you're going to vote again, you better check and see if you are, in fact, registered. Anyway, I say all this because the item I want to talk about is this little thing I found in the Wall Street Journal. Three, three of the top cybersecurity officials at the FBI are retiring. They're all gone. They would all agree that we are at a critical point facing unprecedented cyber threats. And listen to this. Scott Smith, who runs the FBI's cyber division. He's probably already gone. This is about a week old. Is leaving this month. The guy right under him, Howard Marshall, has already left a few weeks ago. David Resch, Executive Assistant Director of the FBI's Criminal Cyber Response Branch, is leaving. Carl Gattis, Executive Assistant Director of the FBI's National Security Branch, is leaving. Why'd they say three? That's four, isn't it? These are the top guys for cybersecurity when we face this most consequential election and we know we're under direct threat exactly in this realm and all of these guys are leaving five months before the election, four months before the election. Will somebody please explain that to me? I'm serious. If that's not a huge story, I don't know what is. Huge. 
Beth says, I called Rich Fitzgerald's office last week asking, that's the Allegheny County executive, asking them to please take Allegheny County off the digital voting machines. That is what we definitely need to do. This is a measure locally we can do so there is no interference. We need to go back to paper ballots, guys. We need to go back to paper ballots. Back to the future. Because that is more secure, in fact. Okay, that's all I got for today. That's it. I thank you for joining me, and I'll... Uh, I'm coming back tomorrow, as far as I know. See ya. Lynn Cullen Live, Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.